When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Talking Snooker with Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf. Once again, talking about the game we all love. Yeah, and plenty to talk about at this time of the year. Busy old time. Um, that was a lot of chat this week in Brentwood, that's for sure. I'm uh, busy the schedule is, but we'll get to that in a bit. Um, and you've had a busy time yourself, Nick, jetting about Europe. <laughs> I am on a Ryder Cup high, Phil. I'm sure many uh, sports fans uh, across Europe and indeed far beyond will be because, yeah, what a week that was uh, for me in Rome. I was just saying to you, it was actually one of the great trips. It really was absolutely uh, magical. Estato bellissimo signor Haig. Now, that wasn't quite as good as Luke Donald, but he had months, though. I've had literally five minutes, so um, let's not sort of compare the two type thing. Yeah, a famous win for Europe. There, Phil, just saying to you off air, you know, that the last two days were actually 10 points each, but Europe got such a flying start. The Americans couldn't come back, but it, it had it all. I mean, it really did. It was some wonderful golf, some great drama, nearly a fight in the car park. Yeah. Well, one of the tabloid uh, journalists asked Roy McElroy at the end, are, are you much of a car park scrapper, Roy? I mean, that that's the kind of sporting event it was, Phil. It really was. High octane, as that scorchingly hot, too much really, and not 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 enough shade, frankly, out on the course. But a real pleasure and a privilege to be at Marco Simone. For, you know, Ryder Cups, the build-ups. Trust me, if, if the fans think these build-ups are too long, then the journalists don't think much differently. We we know it's also mad, but when it's underway, it's the most thrilling ride. But I have to say, Bill, of course, that means I was so cocooned in it that I saw little glimpses of snooker here and there. So this is going to be predominantly a Hague production, I think, in terms of <laughs> talking about what we've seen. But, uh, of course, while the Ryder Cup was going on, loads of other great sport at the moment, including another success for Mark Williams. That's two British Open titles for him in, in three seasons and a 25th ranking event title. Just what a what a wonderful player, the evergreen Williams. My goodness me, just goes on and on, doesn't he? Beating Mark Selby 10-7 in the final. And a thoroughly good winner, Phil. I mean, I, 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 I saw little bits of the final towards the end. It looked like he got a real proper old scrap for the line. But he had the lead for most of it, didn't, didn't he, Mark Williams? And just kept it. Selby sort of stayed in there. But it, it was a, a top final between two wonderful players. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, it was sort of grueling. It wasn't always free flowing the final, but um, that was that wasn't because they were playing poorly. That was just because they were playing such granite snooker, and they were both doing it. You know, there was a lot of sort of containing safeties and stuff. Um, and I spoke to them both yesterday, Brentwood actually, and they both said it was absolutely knackering, sort of mentally and physically to play, um, just because it was so intense. Uh, no, no uh, quarter given by either, as you would expect. Um, you know, Mark Williams is one of the few people who could go toe to toe with Mark Selby in that kind of game, and uh, came out on top. Um, yeah, so it was uh, it was great to see. Uh, Williams have had sort of quite a few close defeats in a lot of semi-finals actually recently. Um, yeah, that Masters final to jump jump as well, um, and you know there was maybe a bit of you know can he get over the line still in these big ones, and he, he did so really well. Um, so yeah, uh, great to see, and I'm hated to see. Um, these guys still winning, 48 years old, amazing. It really is, Phil. I've got the, uh, sometimes I'd like to do this, the old ranking event list, uh, 
titles for the top 10. And it now reads, Ronnie O'Sullivan, 39, Stephen Hendry, 36, John Higgins, 31, Steve Davis, 28, Mark Williams, 25, Neil Robertson, 23, Judd Trump, 23, Mark Selby, 22, Ding Junwee, 14, and Sean Murphy, 12. I think it's worth taking the story back five or six years to the time when we thought Mark Williams winning days were not completely over, but on the way to being that way. He won that Northern Ireland title, didn't he? That put him sort of back in the winner's circle. Then one of the great world championship triumphs for me, 15 years after his last uh, in 2018, in what I think was, for me, the best final of the Crucible era, beating John Higgins. But he's kept it going since. You know, he's ticked over with the odd title. It makes a difference on that list, possibly more than most of the other ones, if that makes sense. I mean, he's the one that's sort of adding them in a way perhaps you wouldn't expect because of his age, but he's now crept up to 25. And that's really significant. You know, uh, you know, still ahead of Robertson and Trump. And there was a time, maybe three, four years ago, you never would have believed. He said, look, look ahead to sort of 2023 and Williams would be ahead. You know, that that's the kind of, you know, excellence we're seeing. You're right, a lot of really narrow defeats. I mean, should never have lost that master semi to Neil. Lost out in the the odd frame of that crucible epic semi to Jard, didn't he? Lost a Masters final to Jard. That he was well in for a lot of it. So it's one of those. But maybe we'll say, Phil, this is a good sign for John Higgins as well. Because we're like, well, John's not quite getting over the line, all these heartbreaking ones. And we're, I think we're kind of on the side of, he'll get there. He'll still get there again. He's that good. William's kind of showing he's done that this time, eh? Yeah, definitely. I think when people are sort of in the later stages of their career, it happens in all sports, doesn't it? It's when a bad patch of form or something, then that becomes, oh, they're finished or getting close to being finished. It doesn't necessarily mean it. You know, people have been speaking about when Class of 92 might be finishing for years and years and years now, but, you know, they're, they're not really. They're not showing signs of it. And, uh, yeah, I suppose people will say John Higgins struggling to get over the line in big matches is a sign of it, but you know, he's still one of the very best players in the world. He could easily get over that and win a load more. Um, I spoke to him actually this week as well, and he said, you know, he's been having painful defeats his entire career. It's not a new thing. It's just um, that it's happening in his late 40s. It's just happening now as well. Uh, maybe happening a bit more regularly, but, um, you know, every player's had painful defeats since they started playing this game. So, uh, mm. yeah, it's not unique to later in, in life. But, um, yeah, these three... <laughs> they've still got a fair bit of time left haven't they um they're not mark williams isn't sort of old manning players as it were people say that in boxing don't they when they old man people but they're still scoring really heavily um i was just watching him this morning um knocking a century in the first frame against joe gidong in no time at all just sort of basically running around the table um <laughs> you know they're not they're not relying on sort of their veteran craft on for everything they've obviously got that but they've got everything so yeah um, not slowing down anytime soon <laughs> yeah uh, i use the word beautiful on social media and i thought now there are some elements of mark's life and character where the word beautiful perhaps he wouldn't apply but in snooker it definitely does and i always think of chris downer when he joined us here uh, phil live from sheffield the author of the crucible all that saying that obviously and we mustn't always bracket them together but naturally at times our minds do go there those three great characters all have wonderful characteristics. But he said if he could choose one of the three to play, it would be Mark Williams. And I know exactly what he means because the way that guy floats the balls in and just has that style, that almost laconic style as well, he's absolutely mesmerising snooker player. And it's just a, a real pleasure for us still to be watching him. He went 5-1 ahead in that final, helped by breaks of 1-10 and 1-3-3. Selby on the next two with breaks of 98 and 73. That was the end of the session, wasn't it? 5-3. Then he closed to within one at 5-4 uh, with a break of 1-1-2. Then it kind of really got more intense from there, didn't it, I think? And, uh, you know, Williams always stayed in front, 8-5. Then Selby got to 8-7. And then I wasn't really watching much apart from the odd shot that night. That was the, the night after the Ryder Cup finished. They very much still had a, a golf head on. But it, it really did seem that was a very long frame where the black was near the pocket, wasn't it? It went on forever and a day, nearly an hour. It was just gri gripping, gritty stuff. And as you say, you know, as we've seen throughout their careers from both of them, no quarter given. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, as I said, they were both <laughs> knackered from it. Um, very grueling. Um, and it finished late-ish, sort of half 11, I think. Um, but it could have been a lot later. <laughs> That's 10-7. If it had gone 10-9, we, yeah, there was a point where we were really looking at like it was going to go super, super late. Um, so, yeah, it was intense stuff. Um, and an amazing way to finish with uh, Williams needing a snooker in that final frame that he won. Um, not too many winner frame against Mark Selfie needing a snooker. Um, and that was great stuff on commentary from Alan McManus said, it looked like it wasn't too hard a snooker for someone like Mark Selby to get out of. But uh, Alan pointed out, oh, he could just put too much right-hand side here and slip around the back. And then exactly that happened. It was great when commentators call stuff like that. Um, shows their amazing expertise. Um, left a free ball and then it was all there for, for Williams to to finish it off, which... Um, you know, even even when those chances look relatively straightforward for these guys under that kind of uh, pressure in that situation, they're not. But he made it look simple. So, um, yeah, it was great stuff. And I'm sure we'll go back through. But um, he said afterwards, he, it wasn't an easy draw for him. This random draw can throw up anything in the British Open. But he had a really tough one throughout, really. Um, Maguire, Gary Wilson, Ding, Fan, Vafai, and then Selby yeah. in the final. Yeah. Uh, there wasn't any gimmies there, especially best of sevens for for the first few of those. So, um, yeah, fantastic winner. Very much so. And I think, you know, he, he showed some, some some real emotion and showed how much it means to him. And you can see why he's saying he's going to go on and on and not stop now because he's just, you know, still capable of putting these big wins, these terrific wins on the board. Yeah, you'll be talking more about the, the tournament, no question, but I scribbles a few headlines down. I'm sure you'll have other things to talk about in your mind as well, Phil. But from the early stages of the tournament, well, from day one, Ding Junhui beat Luca Purcell 4-3. And that was, um, well, a good win for Ding. He was 3-0 up. Luca came back to 3-0. Uh, Ding held his nerve to win the decider. But a really big story, Hamad Mia beating Judd Trump uh, 4-3. Hell of a win for the world number 113. And uh, I actually saw some copy from WST that I really liked, uh, saying that Mia... Victory marks a high point uh, for him since a dramatic return to the tour two years ago. During the pandemic, he ended up stranded in Uzbekistan on the way home from a holiday in Dubai due to travel restrictions. And he narrowly made it back to compete in Q School, where he regained his professional status. Uh, Mia said, in the city, there were 300 Russian billiards clubs and only one snooker table. Uh, what a sentence, Phil. That is a <laughs> That is a hell of a sentence. After going to many of these clubs... I asked the locals and nobody knew what snooker was. Eventually, I met this guy from Tatarstan and he took me to this club. I got the hunger back. I appreciate just playing snooker. I want to enjoy it like every person who goes to the club to play. This is my escape now. And this isn't my life. That's the way I'm trying to look at it so I can enjoy it more. I need to give myself a positive outcome from playing snooker. So I don't want to think of it as work. Well, if you get yourself in those mindsets, you know, that helps. That That's brilliant. And what a win that was. Neil Robertson beating 4-1 by C. Joy He uh, in round two. Break of 107 to seal victory from last season's World Championship semi-finalist there, C. Ispreet Singh Chadder against Stuart Bingham. Well, we said we keep an eye on it. We were right to. Uh, hell of a win there for the Indian player. Winning 4-2. Breaks of 69-71. and 71 to win it. Good quote from him as well, I saw. I'm treating every match as if I'm playing in India. Uh, that's quite a, quite a line. He beat Anthony McGill recently as well, but to be a former world champion, a brilliant effort. And, well, I said I wasn't seeing much, Phil. The one thing I was seeing time and time and time again, and I'll come to a, a bit later before we sign off, quite a lot of snooker people about actually in row, which is re really pleasing. We all saw that Jack Lazowski clearance. I mean, that was ridiculous against Sean Murphy. Interested, I listened to Sean actually last night on his own 147 pod with Phil Seymour saying, you know, he thought he had Jack tucked up in problems. You know, he's not going to get that from there. I mean, outrageous red. I mean, I'm sure you've all seen it by now, but white, <laughs> right out tight against the cushion, the, the bolt cushion and red middle of the table. No right to even go for it, really. Gets it, gets a tough plaque, clears up with 63, uh, wins the match 4-3. It was brilliant stuff, Phil. Yeah, it was incredible. That was a great game, as it looked like it was going to be. Uh, both guys played well. Um, yeah, Sean Murphy, I've got his breaks here, made two breaks of 111, 79 under 62, uh, but managed to lose the best of seven. <laughs> um, amazing, yeah. Uh, it, yeah, uh, those two shots, that red and the black to get in. Um, 
and then again like i said before that then he looked on from there but there's a lot of work to do uh to clear the table but those two shots to get him there shows what jack lasaski can do it's amazing really but i suppose it's one of those games for sure murphy he, he, you can't feel too down about it because you couldn't have done very much more at all, really. Um, just magical stuff from Lasowski. And again, it felt oh, maybe it was going to be his week, but uh, didn't quite get there. But um, more <laughs> more great memories for Lasowski fans, though, for sure. Um, there are some other surprise results early on, I suppose. John Higgins going out to Robbie Williams because he'd been looking good again. But um, that was a great example of just what these sort of middle-ranking players can do. Williams just played really, really well there. Um John missed a couple, but um, you know, these guys um are capable of anything, uh, really. Um those best of sevens, anyone could lose to anyone. Um Mark Allen went out early, but again, tough one to Kyron Wilson. Um and yeah, that that Trump match you mentioned, Trump played well. I think the first four frames of those, it was two two and there were four centuries. Um, which is again another example of what I just said, you know, Haman Mia doesn't get too many like notable wins on tour, but just they're all so capable. Uh, every match is so hard to call. Um, but it was one, I think we say this quite a lot, um, mm. when uh, big names go out early. And you're like, oh, there's going to be, could well be a surprise winner. It's a great chance for some lower-ranked players. And he gets the final, it's Mark Williams against Mark Selby. You know, there's just so many good players, aren't there? You see Robertson and Trump and Higgins. Um, Luca go out first round as well. We didn't mention him. Um, he lost to Ding in the first round. Obviously, really tough draw there. Um that was a funny match, actually. Uh, neither of them did great, really, but Ding got over the line. But yeah, you see all those guys going, and you think, oh, could be on for a big shock here. Um, but there's just so many top players. Um, you end up with uh, two of the all-time greats in the final, despite all that. So, um, yeah, it's why it's so hard to pick winners in these things. Yeah, it was a classic of the genre, wasn't it? It's the ultimate backing up of our point there, really. <laughs> we often, so many of us often make, not just us, it's, a, it's a, obviously a common refrain. And you know what? We're recording this on a on a late morning here, on, on a Wednesday in the UK, but thinking about various snooker matters early this morning, as I often you know, would, would do, prone to do before we record. And you know, Mark Allen's been making complaints recently. Well, I'm not being noticed enough. I'm not on posters. I'm not talked about enough. And I thought, well... There's nuance in that. There's, you know, he might have some reason for complaint, but it, but it made me think. I think at different times, a lot of those guys have said, well, why aren't I here? Why aren't I there? And actually, part of it is down to the fact we just have so many stars. Mm-hmm. And that is a brilliant thing in snooker. Because I was going through some other sports in my head and I thought, you know, if so, so-and-so or so-and-so went out in that sport or, you know, three or four big hitters, you'd be like, oh, you know, it's going to be a bit of a harder tournament to sell. We we don't get that in snooker. Even if three or four guys go out early, there are so many marketable players, so many brilliant players that, you know, I'm not trying to downgrade Mark's, Mark Allen's complaints, but I think that's part of it, that when these, you know, organisers of tournaments are selling them, they do have a lot of players to pin it on. So in a way, someone's always going to be disappointed. But anyway, that's a bit of a tangent for me, but it's certainly something I was thinking earlier. Well, perhaps I'll, I'll go through the results in the last 16 stage onwards, Bill, just to fill listeners in a little bit more on what happened. Well, it was Tom Ford for Scott Donaldson, one. Hossein Vafai for Graham Dot, two. Uh, Mark Williams, you mentioned uh, his hard run. He beat Ding during week 4-2. Ding went 2-0 up in that match, actually. Mark played really well from there. Xiaogu Dong for Ali Carter, 2. Uh, he Gua Kwang for Barry Hawkins, 3. That's a hell of a win, actually. 23-year-old who came through Asia Oceana Q School um, to beat Barry, of course, has been one of the players of the season so far. Mark Selby for David Gilbert, uh, 3. Uh, he came back late on, actually, Selby there. Made an 83 to force a decider. And then won that uh, deciding frame, hard-fought one, to get himself through to the last eight. Jack Lazowski for Fergal O'Brien, two. And Fan Sengji for Mahai Long, one. So I don't even want to talk about any results there. Lots of interesting matches. It was all still coming thick and fast. But we were, the mists were clearing, Phil, by that stage. We were, we were seeing some kind of path towards the end. Yeah, just about. Yeah, that um, that win for Paige. Guo Chang, sorry about the pronunciation. <laughs> That's almost certainly wrong. It was excellent because Barry Hawkins, obviously, with um form player of the season at the minute, really, along with you know Mark Williams, and was looking good there again. Um and yeah, another another exciting young Chinese player on tour. I watched him beat Ryan Day yesterday in uh, in Brentwood. So uh, he, yeah, he's looking good. Um I watched that that Selby Gilbert match went late. Uh, I actually had a couple of 
nights up in Northumberland over the weekend, um, which was very nice. And uh, the first one, uh, I, I sat up quite late in the hotel room watching that game. Um, and Dave was unlucky at the end. He looked like he should have won that decider. And then uh, he went in off on the final black to lose it, which was a bit of a nightmare. Um, and I was actually the next morning I was at breakfast and there was this reasonably elderly American couple sat next to us. And uh, the the chap was explaining to his wife what had been happening in that frame. So he'd obviously been doing the same as me and just got hooked on it till late on. Um, I don't think she knew anything about snooker, but was sort of nodding along. I'm not even sure if he knew much about snooker, but was <laughs> doing his best to explain what happened to Dave Gilbert late at night <laughs> the previous evening. Um, but yeah, that was a good one. Um, Lasowski, yeah, he was 2 0 down to Fergal there, and that looked like it, that was going to be. A sticky one there, but he came through, and that's as I said before. People started to think it could be his week in front of his home fans in Cheltenham, but um, wasn't to be. But was looking all right at that stage. Um, yeah, and that Ding uh, Ding against Williams looked like a good one. I spoke to Ding um, the other day in Essex, and uh, uh, I was asking how close he is to feeling like he's back to anywhere like his old form of winning tournaments or even going deep in tournaments. And he just said, very far away, uh, very honest. Um, yeah. And he said that game against Williams, he was just like, he just felt really, really not that competitive. Um, so, yeah, he's sort of showing little signs. Obviously, there's little bits there, but, uh, yeah, um, he, he, he was very open about the fact that he didn't feel like he was about to make a big burst back into uh, to title-winning form anytime soon. Yeah, I should say before I forget, actually, we're going to, bring, I'm sure, bring up two or three other really good interviews you've done, but you've done loads, actually, in the last few days. So we, people should go to your Twitter feed, Phil. You've been absolutely prolific in, in Brentwood. I'm sure there's probably one or two we don't mention on here that you, you've really spoken to a lot of players and have a lot of big players as well. You've spoken to Luca, of course. I mean, we'll probably come to that, but he's talked about the pressures of being, perhaps we'll do that now quickly. You know, the, we'll talk about the, the pressures of being world champion. He just says, there aren't enough hours in the day, basically. He's just, you know, that that's what happens, isn't it? You know, he's had a big blowout, but now he's back here. He's having to really organise his time well, uh, as well as he can, and finding it hard. Yeah, it was great to speak to Luca. He's obviously um, a super chilled out, relaxed guy. So even when he was saying that, you know, he wasn't ha- having a meltdown. But um, <laughs> he said it was interesting. He said sort of the six weeks after he won uh, the Worlds, it was pretty quiet. And he was thinking, oh, is this, this is fine. He said, I was quite surprised how quiet it is. And then it all sort of, started kicking off i guess when the season started um just so many requests for his time um and obviously you know part of it he's saying part of it is enjoyable the travel and going to do stuff you know new opportunities uh tv podcasts um traveling around the world playing snooker um but you know it's a big change for anyone um and you know that's predictable people could say that was uh, gonna happen but it's a lot of getting used to um and yeah and then turning up at brentwood with is not the easiest um, to sort of be entirely professional and focused and prepared necessarily uh, when you're suddenly, yeah, a million times busier than you ever were in your pre- previously. So, yeah, it was it was it was good. He was open and honest about that. He's a really interesting guy. Um, so, yeah, that was good. Um, yeah, there's plenty on there on uh, on Metro to have a look at. So do do check them out. <laughs> Yeah, that very, it was you know a very interesting interview indeed with the with the with the world champion. Going back to the Ding thing, it's a shame to to hear he he, he thinks he's a long way away. My my thing about Ding is he seems to start so many matches well. He's done a lot of this against Ronnie, but he does it generally. He seems to start like an express train, and maybe that's the, the belief thing. He loses it as soon as something goes wrong in the match. Maybe the other player gets the first frame or two. And his belief kind of goes that easily happens, but it's not as if he's not starting matches well. That's that's the really sort of frustrating thing. He's not being beaten heavily a lot. He, he just seems to be. I mean, of course, the most famous recent example was that UK final, which we all thought was in the bag against Mark mm-hmm. Allen. But this happens a lot with him. I've really noticed a trend there. So that's obviously something he'll, he'll hope changes in the sort of um, times to come. Well, the quarterfinals then. Well, Mark Williams beat Fang Zhengzhi at five one. It was Hossein the 5-5, Higwe Kwang 2, uh, Zhao Gudong at 5, Tom Ford 3. High break of the tournament at 140 from Zhao in, in that match. And Mark Selby 5, Jack Lazowski 4, breaks of 98, 50, 132, 95 and 65 in the decider from Selby. So not a lot that Jack can really do about that. And then semi-final Saturday, where they're often brilliant. This one was a bit disappointing, frankly. Uh, we got nowhere near the maximum number of frames. It was Mark Williams six, Hossein for five, 
three. I was saying actually made the highest break of that match of one three five, but Williams was a good winner. And then Mark Selby beat Xiao Gudong 6 0, thumping win for Selby, breaks of 64, 94, 1 2 3, and 61. Maybe not uh, so much in Brentwood, but certainly in, in Cheltenham, Mark Selby had his scoring boots on big time, Phil. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah, he looked supreme there. And I guess I didn't actually see the odds before the final, but after doing that, probably would have been the favourite. Xiao um, Gudong is a funny player, isn't he, with things like that? Because. Um, he, he looks really good a lot of the time, um, does a lot of good things, uh, reaches the odd semi, and then I'm sure he has collapsed like that a bit um, at that stage or quarterfinals, semifinals before. Um, you know, he's playing Mark Selby, so it's very difficult, especially when he's playing extremely well like that. Um, but yeah, he never quite gets gets to that, uh, the, the latest possible stage. Um, but yeah, Selby looked uh, extremely good. Um, and talk about tough runs there. I mean, he didn't, didn't have it easy himself in the in the random draw um, after Gilbert and Lasowski. Um So yeah, he looked very good going into that final, um, and he's looked good um, for some time now. Um, I think he started getting back to his best sort of halfway through last season, didn't he? And he's been pretty consistent since then. You'd say um, it's just that we got so used to him winning all those finals. He won, you know, but how many? He was oh, that's the record true, yeah. with Stephen yeah. Hendrick. Yeah. Um, it just won every final he played in, and now back to back, a couple of big final defeats. So, um, you know, we're not used to seeing it, but obviously, runs to finals are still very, very good, aren't they? The, the shootout sort of sport that, didn't it? Was yeah. it the one he lost to Ryan Day? And I remember interviewing Ryan Day that night and sort of pointed out, and I think Ryan used the word ish, ish a few times as if he didn't really believe it, it did end it, but of course it did. But yeah, you're right. That is unusual for, for Mark Selby to lost the last world final, now loses this. Yeah, because we got used to him just being the ultimate biggest stage player in recent times. Well, it seemed like a good stage in the tournament, uh, Phil. One by Mark Williams, and we say congratulations to him. We have one bit of correspondence here from Owen Harris, who says, Hi, guys. As a strong acquaintance of the podcast, I like that. <laughs> As we know, regular correspondents get the strong acquaintance, uh, Monica, don't they, Phil? If you're on here, you're a friend. Um, As a strong acquaintance, I feel it my duty to give some thoughts on my time at the British Open. It is my payment for the entertainment you provide. That's very kind of you. Pros, excellent price, brilliant venue, fantastic turnout. The setup with all the branding, etc., looked amazing. Great match I saw, Ding against Luca, and I got on TV. That's, that shouldn't be bottom of the list, should it, Phil? Um, that would be top if I got on the telly, I tell you. Cons, no merchandise on sale, no programme on sale either. As you can see, the pros win. I hope they hold more events at the venue Hopefully the same event. I see no reason why not. Thanks, Owen. Well, thank you for that, Owen. Much appreciated. And yeah, I could be wrong, but I think they might just do programmes for the very, very biggest events now. I'm not saying it's just a triple crown. It might be the triple crowns, one or two others, but that's been the trend for a while. Certainly after the pandemic, I'm pretty right, sure I'm right in saying. Merchandise, yeah, I've heard seen a few fans on social media saying that as well but it seemed like a really nice venue so i know it from racing it's always packed with ga gamblers frankly and big screens and a real sort of buzz in there during the, the the wonderful national hunt festival there in march i don't know it for this but it's always seemed like the right sort of building for me when i first heard it was there the right you know kind of sort of optics kind of thing the right kind of size so it seemed to be pretty good and the crowds were good and uh I see no reason why this event shouldn't, shouldn't return there next season, or at least one event on the on on tour. But it seems to be going down well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, yeah. I've not heard too many negatives about Cheltenham as a venue, uh, an arena. Um, you know, it's good that not all the tournaments are up north. You know, you know that is an unselfish point for me. I'd happily they all to be in Yorkshire myself, but uh, it is good to spread them around. Um, and yeah, this this tour is just great. Uh, it's been a real good um, re-addition to the tour after it popped up um, sort of out of nowhere, really. Um, uh, the random draw makes it feel unique, which is good. Um, and it's provided a lot of drama in in just that's the third staging since it's returned, isn't it? And there's been a lot of memorable things happened. Um, so, yeah, we never know, really. Things seem to change around at the drop of a hat each season. So I wouldn't like to put any money saying it's back in Cheltenham because I don't know. Um, 
but yeah, didn't seem to be anything happening there that to say that it shouldn't be, that's for sure. Indeed. And let's now put the bushes open to bed and say once again, a, a brilliant winner in Mark Williams and well done to Mark Selby as well getting to the final and to everybody for staging a successful tournament, which uh, would uh, covered, of course, by ITV here in the UK. And uh, they always do an excellent job as well. So plenty to be positive about from the tournament. And we should say you are listening here to Talking Sanuka with Phil Haig and Nick Metcalf. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. The Snooker Roadshow goes on, Phil, continues to Brentwood. And the English Open, which is underway as we speak, a couple of days old already, only right I'll give you the first word on this one. You've been there. Uh, put on your best Brentwood hat and tell us exactly <laughs> what it's like as a Brentwood hat. Probably not. Um, tell us what it's been like for you. Yeah, it was good. Um, enjoyed going down there. I went down Monday morning. Um, and, yeah, I mean, that shows even uh, staying up to watch the end of the final and then, then driving down there to Sheffield shows how from Sheffield shows uh how quick the turnaround is between tournaments because <laughs> didn't didn't quite make the start but just got to the end. Well, it also um, shows how obsessed you are with snooker. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's true. I sort of say it's my job, which it is, but I mean, I do like it as well. <laughs> but yeah, no, is uh, I mean, it is it is in a sort of an unassuming leisure centre. There's no two ways around that. It's not, uh, you know, it's not the most glamorous of venues. But I'll tell you what, it is very well attended. That first day was sold out, um, and there were a lot of people in for the morning. It wasn't full in the morning, um, but it was full in the afternoon and evening. Um, and it's a tenner for the whole day, I think. So it's tremendous value. Um, and, you know, I don't think anyone would sort of choose, you know, if you're picking venues and you've you got to have any choice, you wouldn't necessarily pick venues like that. But, you know, to have sort of cheaper options that a lot of people can and do go to, is not the end of the world. Um, but there were quite a lot of complaints from the players about uh, how hot it was in the arena, which was strange because it wasn't a particularly hot day. Um, I don't know if they just hadn't turned the aircon on because apparently it was better the second day, but every player was complaining about how hot it was in there. Um, so, yeah. Uh, but, you know, as with all these Home Nations events, those opening Mondays are just brilliant, are brilliant for fans um, and for us guys going to talk to players because sort of all the top players are there near enough. Um, so yeah, that was uh, that was a great day talking to all sorts of people, including the rocket who landed from China that morning. Um, <laughs> it was a mad schedule, really. There was some um concern, you know, if he had many delays or anything, he might not make it. But yeah, he'd been playing Jimmy uh, in exhibitions in Macau uh, over the weekend. Literally landed uh, Monday morning, went straight to Brentwood. Um, and not many players would then win 4 0, but that's exactly what he did, which is a very typical Ronnie O'Sullivan. Um, and then uh, he, did, he seemed all right, actually. You would think he'd be sort of falling asleep, but he was all right. But he didn't have very many compliments for the venue and other venues. Um, that was also a very typical Ronnie O'Sullivan. But yeah, uh, but yeah, good couple of days down there, plenty going on, um, and some interesting results already, actually. Definitely. Now, you should have a career in diplomacy with your unassuming. I mean, Ronnie O'Sullivan was a little bit more uh, direct, as, as of course, Ronnie is. few uh, fans, by the way, raising eyebrows about Ronnie playing in exhibitions and not tournaments. But anyway, this is what Ronnie O'Sullivan has to say about uh, Brentwood and maybe uh, tournament venues in general. He said, I think this is your story on Metro. I think it's important to have good tournaments. 
I'm not saying this is a terrible tournament, but the venues, hmm, people up and down, walking in the crowd, I'd like to see someone get hold of a good promoter, get hold of the tournaments and make them a bit better. Nothing has really changed in 12 years. You just go through the motions in a lot of these tournaments. I don't want to be ultra critical, but also sometimes the truth needs to be told. I don't know if you had a walk around this venue or been in the toilets and had a look around. It's not the greatest. It's not the most inspiring place to come and play snooker, but it is what it is. Well, perhaps uh, I'll reserve my judgment. I still do hope to get along there for, for one of the days or evenings this week, in which I'll you know have my say. Uh, I can't say anything until they've been, I've been there. It's not 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 appropriate at all. Um, but Ronnie's obviously you know had his say. He's he's not too happy. I mean, he's he's banging a familiar drum there, and of course, it's partly it's you know you do get people saying, "Oh, typical Ronnie always moaning." But you know, if we can do better with venues, perhaps perhaps we ought to feel. I mean, the the point is, some of them. The, the point is, the the English Open is in many ways the hardest one because there are so many tournaments in England. Now, England's a pretty big place, and there are. We'll probably hear people, you know, saying this now as they're listening. Well, what about coming to my part of the country? Or, you know, there's this venue I can think of. You know, there, there will be venues, but it's not easy to find the right one for, you know, financial uh, infrastructure reasons, all kind of reasons. I mean, a lot of people say to me, why, why, why isn't there more stuff down in the southwest? There always used to be tournaments down here. And, you know, maybe that's something that could be explored more. But again, you know, <laughs> these things are very easy to sit in the in the chair, the armchair, and, and, and pontificate about, and rather more difficult to, to, to organise. But anyway, that Ronnie's certainly been, been outspoken there. But as you as you rightly said, he did have a, a comfortable win four 0 against Andrew Paget. Well, I, I put was it now three words which I sometimes do use quite a lot now, not just for snooker but often for snooker. Totally normal sport. I think that might have started a lot of golf journals <laughs> use that Phil. But in the, the reason I put that up was it was in relation to Ding Jun Wee being docked a frame for wearing the wrong trousers, only in snooker, Phil. He beat Mahe Long 4-3, but was docked a frame because he'd forgotten it was uh, uh, all black clothing. So he had to go and send someone out to uh, to, to get some uh, some new trousers. He says, my memory is not good. I didn't think about it. Once I was playing, I just tried to concentrate on the match. So it, but he did, he did get a win, it's important to say. Well, Neil Robertson continues to be out of sorts, beating 4-2 by Sanderson Lamb. You mentioned Sanderson a few times, really getting some good results so far this season. Luca Brazil beat Stan Moody 4-3, a career-high break of 1-2-1 from Stan in that match. Luca really pushed to the wire. I said he was lucky to win, actually. And then, as we said, told you, Phil, about some of the pressures of being world champion. Uh, Liu Hong Yu beat Sean Murphy 4 Three, I thought Sean was interesting on his own pod talking about that match. Uh, Lou three one down in that, and fifty seven nil down in the decider. So real good effort from him. And then John Higgins beating Marco Fu four three. And that's all from day one. Some of the day two news: Ollie Lyons beat Corey Wilson four three, and then Martin Gould four one. So two wins, two notable wins there for Ollie uh, Lyons. Uh, Luca Bussell beating Andy Hicks four one. Had a one four seven attempt in that. Fifteen reds, fifteen blacks went in off. Uh, when potting the yellow. Uh, and then Mark Selby, I know you want to talk about this in a moment. He was beaten 4 2 uh, by Martin O'Donnell. Uh, Martin played well looking at the breaks. I didn't see the match. Breaks of 51, 120, and 58 from him. Selby had played earlier in the day. So he did play twice. He beat Xing Zhihao 4 1 in his first match. But the really interesting thing was from a lot of people are pointing this out, Phil, quite unselby like. I mean, it's not like a lot of players, but certainly not like him. He did actually concede when the match was still live. I mean, Martin had what looked like kind of awkward cooing on the yellow. Let's be, let's be clear, you know, 99 times out of 100, Martin's finishing the match off. But still, unselby-like, and I think you've suggested to me on air, off-air, off my apologies, off-air, before we started, that there are certain frustrations from Selby about the scheduling. Yeah, I spoke to him after that first win, and then I had to head back after the afternoon, so I didn't speak to him after he... he played martin but um yeah i mean there was a there was a lot of frustrations it was more about sort of these back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back tournaments um with next week being in wuhan as well like a lot of players um you know had a worry this week um what they were going to do if they get to the latter stages here um because they'd already booked flights to wuhan they'd have to move them and then maybe you know you'd be landing in china and playing the same day and stuff so the scheduling is pretty intense um 
and because both Williams and Selby were supposed to play in Brentwood on Monday and they got their matches moved to Tuesday and Selby had to play twice on Tuesday. And yeah, I spoke to him after that first win um, and he, he he was tired. He looked tired. He said he was tired. Um, you know, that, that final on Sunday after a week of playing um, was pretty grueling. Um, you did have Monday off, so, you know, it wasn't, it could have been worse. Um, but to, to turn up and play in the afternoon and then the evening, you could see that it was a, a serious problem. You know, he sat there in his chair sort of rubbing his eyes. And, yeah, I'm sure that concession was a result of that. Um, because, yeah, like you said, you know, o- O'Donnell was going to win. But um, it's it's unlike, yeah, most players, and especially Selby, just to, to give up there. Um, and it's going to cost him some money. That'll be a fine. Um, so not ideal. Um yeah, and the scheduling's been talked about a lot. Um, every every player I spoke to said that they're likely to sort of pick and choose tournaments if it stays like this, um, because um, yeah, as I said, it's got the British and the English, then Wuhan three weeks on the spin. Um, players that are just are going to start pulling out certain tournaments to play in others because if you get if you go deep in one, you know your chances in the next one are very slim. So yeah, it's an interesting topic. But if we said, I think we said it at the start of the season when all the China events came back on. So only a matter of time until people complain about too many tournaments. And now is that time. And Neil Roberts has been complaining as well. And uh, I'm not the most enormously sympathetic, to be honest, because of what we've been seeing the last few years. And it comes down to that thing about, you know, I, I often think that. They're always on the verge of saying, why can't there be, there be a bunch more together? But then people in charge of snooker will say, well, those tournaments in China don't want them to be bunched together. They want to stand out. They want to be at the times they want them. So mm. it's not particularly easy. Listen, Phil, if you were a gambling man, how many times do you think I'd pull out the, I've been at the Ryder Cup excuse for making a mistake? More than none. More than none. <laughs> First big one. I think I said Ollie Lyons played twice on the same day. He didn't. It's one of those ones I didn't check enough on snooker.org. He played late at night. That sneaky rascal thing they do when the, when it's after midnight, it's listed on the same day. He actually beat Corin Wilson, didn't he, Monday night, and then Martin Gould the next day. So I don't, he didn't play twice in one day. So that was a first and hopefully only deliberate mistake of this episode, Phil. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's a bit deaf ears from me. I don't know your your view. Um, yes, I've forgotten the word, Neil. Neil May said insane, actually, did an interview with, with Rob Moore, didn't he, our colleague from the Sun newspaper, our friend and colleague. And, yeah, I, I, I'm afraid I, I've got a bit of short shrift, really, because it's been a desperate time. You know, we just got back to China. We're so delighted and elated, as all snooker people, even us that follow the game and write and talk about the game, to get back there. And the players are ready to be moaning. I think it's not really really in the room for me. Yeah, it's tricky because you can you can completely understand what they're saying. Like the idea of playing till late on Sunday this week in Brentwood, and even if your match is delayed till late Tuesday in China, uh, you know you're not going to be in any sort of state to play very well, um, and so your chances of doing well are are slim. Um, but at the same time, yeah, you, if the option is to have a tournament on or not. And you're having the tournament on, aren't you? Um, and if your option is to win the tournament this week and then to be tired next week, you'd still take winning the tournament. So, yeah, it's far from ideal. Um, you know, in in a perfect world, there would be, you know, a few days at least between tournaments to to resolve this. Um, but yeah, yeah, there'll be endless reasons why the, you know, the calendar has ended up as it is. And you know, it's the first year we've had all these back, so hopefully. In the future, they will be sort of a little bit spaced out um, because, yeah, it's in no one's benefit um, to just roll in like that. Um, you know, everyone who works for organising, not just the players, everyone who works for organising snookaster to dart about between the tournaments as well. Um, I think the players' point was, you know, that there's lots of UK tournaments that end on Sunday and start on Monday. Um, so why couldn't Chinese tournaments um, do the same, um, have two or three on, on the spin. But, yeah, they're, they're the ones putting in a lot of money. The big prizes are over there, so they're more likely to get what they want, I suppose. Um, but, yeah, uh, you can see both sides with a lot of these things. I know what you mean. You, we want the tournaments on. 
um i suppose i think i spoke to judd trump about it actually i think he said um that's that's the best way to look at it is that it's good to have the tournaments on you don't have to play in them if you don't want to no one's making you um if you want to if you don't want to play in brentwood this week to save yourself to be better prepared for wuhan then that's fine um obviously it's hard because you want to keep winning money and earning ranking points um but no one's making anyone play in all the tournaments and if the schedule is like this the seasons to come then people just won't play in every tournament um because it'll be too much but we'll see how that goes that's what happens in golf and tennis and stuff you know the the top tennis players don't play every tournament by any stretch um but then again they're earning an awful lot more money from the ones they do and off the court as well so yeah it's tricky as i say you can always see both sides of these kind of thing yeah very well summed up phil led thank you for that and well we've got a live video printer service phil because uh, matches are happening right now and i can see mark williams you mentioned the aforementioned you mentioned that good break he's actually three two down to shao kudong uh, as we speak here uh elsewhere fang zhengji is three two up on mohammed asif it's chris wakelin three jamie jones one and Zhang Anders, 2-1 up on Anthony McGill. Uh, I think we're going to see Ronnie later on, aren't we? Uh, mm-hmm. Ronnie O'Sullivan against Jackson Page this afternoon. Judd Trump, John Higgins and Mark Allen among the players in action tonight. So it's, it's that thing I said, you know, may, may lose a couple of big stars early on, but so many fabulous players in this tournament. So we'll really enjoy continuing to follow the English Open in Brentwood and we'll be return after the tournament to reflect on it. So let's move on. And uh, unless you've got anything else to say about Brentwood, I, I feel like I might have been a bit hasty there. I, you, it sounded like, you know, it wasn't the most salubrious venue ever, but uh, you got by. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it is what it is. I think, you know, there's a swimming pool, it smells of chlorine. <laughs> you know, there's, that's, you know, it is what it is. But uh, as I say, I think if you can get a ticket for a tenner and watch all those games, it, it's very good value. And, mm. uh, you know, um, you don't hear sort of the lower ranked players playing, complaining about it, obviously. Now, Ronnie O'Sullivan's just jetted in from the Wynn Palace Hotel in Macau. Um, so, yeah, the, the Brentwood Leisure Centre is going to look uh, comparatively very bad. <laughs> but not everyone is off doing exhibitions at massive hotels with Shaquille O'Neal DJing at. You know, that's the, the life that Ronnie O'Sullivan lives. So that's bound to be his opinion. That's fine. Um, but if you like spending a tenner and going to watch, you know, most of the best snooker players in the world, then get yourself to Brentwood Leisure Centre because that is great stuff. I'm just wondering if that's the first Shaquille O'Neal mention um, in, in talking snooker history. Might be, might be, might be. Might be. Um, Wuhan Open starting next Monday, Phil. We, we've been trailing it. Um, it's mainly in terms of players saying how difficult it's going to be to get over there, especially if they go deep in in, in the English. But some nice matches to look forward to. Going to be a guest of the year, Phil. We're going to have a get Ronnie O'Sullivan against Ken Doherty coming up now. Two evergreen stars of the game. Have a go. Um, 1995. Two. 1992. Very early. In the Strachan Challenge. I don't think that's a tournament that's come up before in this podcast. (laughs) Um. They also met actually the 1993 UK, the last 16 stage, Ronnie winning en route to one of his most famous wins, his first ever, of course, uh, ranking event win. Well, 30 years ago this autumn, my goodness me, and he's still winning, hard to believe in, in so many ways. Well, Mark Allen's got Mark Joyce. I don't think they've always been on each other's Christmas card lists over the years. And uh, Judd Trump's playing Ollie Lines, who, of course, we know is in good form at the moment. Uh, world champion Luca Bussell's got uh, Jing Zhihao. Uh, for full list of matches, uh, go to snooker.org. Uh, but we look forward to another tournament. It's uh, it's so back-to-back at the moment, Phil. We're, we're really sports fans. So we've got a bit of that breakfast viewing as well. You know, in the old... Uh, well, I said the Selena Scott and Brett and, and uh, Frank Boff slot uh, uh, last time. And the other side, of course, it was the David Foss, Michael Parkinson and Angela Rippon slot. So this is all, this is all for the teenagers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for my time, I'm afraid. Uh, but yeah, I do enjoy those. Um, yeah, that, I was really, really enjoying the Shanghai Masters the other week. That was really good. So it'd be interesting. New new city for the tour, new venue. Um, 
had some pretty poor publicity did Wuhan in recent years. So hopefully it's a success for them <laughs> for all the right reasons. Um, and yeah, I mean, as much as the complaints about scheduling, players are looking forward to go and play big tournaments in China. So um, it's, a, it's a good thing for sure. I know how much you enjoy talking snooker, Phil. So, you're, you, you know, you're, you're always going to want to continue this podcast, but you can have a, a little sideline in talking diplomacy in, in the future. <laughs> that, I think you'll be good at that. You've got a nice little way of um, of underplaying things. With the, yeah, I like that. Well, UK Women's Open, uh, Phil, we should move on uh, to that and talk about uh, uh, events there, which have happened since we were last on air. Uh, Rianne Evans has won her 12th UK title, the, the brilliant, prolific, Rianne beating Bayou Lu 4-1 in the final of that event at the Northern Snooker Centre in Leeds. So uh, she just goes on and on uh, creating history in this sport, doesn't she? Back up to world number two, actually, with that uh, victory. And let me give you some of the results from the quarterfinal stage onwards. Rianne Evans 3, uh, Anupama Ramachandran 1, uh, Onye beat Rebecca Kenner 3-0. It was Bipat 3, Ami Kamani 1, and Bayou Lu 3, Mink Nutrat 2. In the semi-finals, Rianne Evans 4, Onyi 1, and Bayou Lu 4, Bipat 2. And then in the final, uh, Rianne Evans 4, Bayou Lu 1. So superb stuff from Rianne again, and we should congratulate her and uh, say, well, when it comes to uh, just... Stars that are just put an extraordinary number of successes on the board and trophies in the cabinet in this sport across the board, men or women, uh, few can beat Rianne. Oh, absolutely, yeah. 12, 12 UK titles had to 12 world titles, incredible stuff. Um, and a big win against Bayou Lu because she's obviously the coming force in the female game. Looks like she's going to be, uh, you know, rack up an awful lot of titles herself over many years to come. So um, it was great for Rianne to sort of stamp her authority on that final with a with a clear win. Um, I think that final's on YouTube, um, so if anyone wants to watch that, you can see it there. Um, and yeah, the sort of the names you'd expect, but um, you mentioned a couple of Indian players there in the quarterfinals. So there are there are some some players, uh, you know, coming to the fore, which is good to see. We want to see more and more uh, female players competing for these titles. Um, and yeah, Rianne, yeah, it's just uh, incredible the amount of success she's had. Um, and credit to her to still keep going at it. I mean, you know, it's it must have been good experience playing on the tour, but um, not picked up much success, it has to be said. So it's it must be hard for the old confidence going, uh, because yeah, she plays, she never withdraws from everything, she turns up all the time, um, playing sort of qualifiers in cubicles and struggling for results you know it's hard work and that's no criticism of her it's extremely difficult to, to get any wins on tour um but so yeah it's it's nice to see her going and winning on the on the ladies tour as well so yeah congratulations to her and uh well done for everyone putting on that event up in leeds very much so and i was having a look at the world women's snooker tour website before we came on air and the next tournament is coming right up it's the australian women's open it's going to be held at the mounties club in sydney and that's underway on Saturday. So plenty uh, of action to look forward to. There are lots of tournaments to come through the season. So you can have a look yourself on the on the World Women's Snooker Tour website. And, you know, the, the events do go from strength to strength. And as you say, some of the new names coming through we want to see. We know the familiar ones now. Those sort of four, five, six players that, uh, you know, that the, the, the ahead of the rest. And that'll always happen, of course, whatever the situation, whatever the tour. But it's good to see some of those new names breaking through as well. And, uh, yeah, the brilliant Rian Evans, once again, a champion. Well, Phil, we're aiming for around the hour mark. We're not far away from there. So perhaps we should come to any other business. Um, and, well, I want to say that actually I loved how many people that I was talking snooker with in Rome at the Ryder Cup just made me realise, you know, in that press room there, huge media centre, quite a lot of snooker conversations. I mean, people do know me, so they're, they're more inclined to sort of ask about it to some extent. But even then... People that really, really love the game. My my good friend Steve Douglas, who was there chatting a lot about he's a massive, you know, are we all in many ways, but a massive lover of Ronnie, Ronnie O'Sullivan. I'm talking all about him. And it was a pleasure to spend the week with the team from the Bunkered uh, website and podcast uh, uh, in Rome. Alex Perry from their team, a really big snooker fan. A lovely two to me, Andy Wright from Golf Monthly, who was talking to me uh, at some length about his immense high regard 
uh, for Stephen Hendry, uh, among other things. And plenty of other people as well were sort of nattering away about the game. So that was really good. And of course, it's, you know, it's nice when you want something so massive like a Ryder Cup. But that really is, you know, if you talk about the top tier, I mean, everyone's got their own list, but it can't be that far behind the World Cup and the Olympics at the top. I mean, it's probably maybe Rugby World Cup next, but Ryder Cup will be round and about there. It's huge. And I think we were talking about snooker there so much was was brilliant. But um, I'm not sure if you've got much more to add. We'll be back soon after the English, won't we, to reflect on that tournament and lots of nice action to come. Uh, always hard to predict a winner, but we expect the sort of big guns to, to you know, to get there. Pretty good roll, roll call of winners at the English over the years. So expect that will probably continue, eh? Yeah, you'd think so. Um, it just uh, the whole scheduling thing does uh, throw in a little curveball um, because it is on people's minds. And you know, I'm not saying anyone would be losing on purpose, but uh, but uh, definitely not saying that. Um, but you know, people who have booked flights Saturday, Sunday, or Monday morning, you know, might be playing slightly more aggressively when it comes to Thursday, Friday. I wouldn't be too surprised. Um, so we'll see. It could be an interesting one later in the week. Um, and when it comes to any other business, um, I was going to shout out on Yi playing in the, in the 900 last week. She made a brilliant century. You don't see too many centuries in, um, that format. Um, and it was superb. She was really good. Uh, so great addition to, to that competition that that's been rolling on. Dennis Taylor getting some great wins there. Um, rolling back the years. Um, so yeah, continuing to entertain us on sportystuff.tv late at night. More comebacks than Frank Sinatra from Dennisville. And that's a reference that might have been more relevant sort of 20, 25 years ago than now, but that, that won't stop me. Um, looking through your Twitter field, just remind me a couple more. You spoke to Sanderson Land, didn't you? The Apple mentioned, I think we said that. And you also spoke to Carrie Peng as well. And um, playing football, the key to doing well. It's a bit of, they've all got different approaches, haven't they, these guys? <laughs> yeah, that was interesting, actually, because um, I saw he, he beat Gilbert 4-0, which is a tremendous result, and I just had a look at his cue tracker, and that's four whitewash wins on the spin for him. So he, he'd won his last 19 frames, which you know can't happen too often, really. Um, so I had a word with him afterwards, and, you know, when you usually ask players, you know, any reason for this good form, it's just, you know, practising hard, um, some cliche, but it was actually the opposite. He said he hasn't been practising that much. He's been playing football as much as he can. Um, and that seems to have helped a lot. You know, he's been really looking forward to getting to tournaments. Um, and he hadn't felt like he was sort of gr- been grinding away too much. It wasn't too much of a chore. He was excited to be playing. Um, so yeah, it's interesting to hear these different approaches from players, especially players you don't hear from loads. Um, so that's good to speak to him. Um, and yes, Anderson's been doing so well. I spoke to him after beat Neil. Um, similar as well, actually. He said he's cut down some practice hours, just about quality over quantity. And it's paying off because he won his next game 4-0 against Stuart Carrington. So, um, yeah, I think he's already won more matches this season than he did the whole last season. So going very well for Sanderson, which is good to see because he's uh, a really good guy. Yeah, very much so. And, uh, and uh, Sean Murphy was actually... We're plugging their podcast a lot, aren't we, Phil? We've got to cut that out. <laughs> you know, maybe one an episode. That's about four or five for me now. Bloody hell. But he was talking in, in good terms about Sanderson Lamb. And, well, we should say we are back next week. We've still got plenty more of those shots you can't get out of your head, but we had so much to catch up on this episode. I think we'll save them for next time. And also, if you go to Brentwood, do let us know. I mean, it's always, we always love that. It's always relevant. But in light of the Ronnie comments and maybe a few other comments as well from people, we'd love to hear what your experience of Brentwood is like. So if you've been to the tournament already or you're going in the coming days, uh, tweet us at Talking Snooker or email us talkingsnooker at yahoo.com. Great to see you, but I salute you and say enjoy the rest of your Wednesday, enjoy the rest of the tournament, and I'll see you next time, sir. Yeah, thank you very much. Pleasure as always. I was just trying to find, I popped in a pub in Brentwood that I wanted to recommend, and I can't remember what it was called, but it was very cheap. A pint for £4, which I thought was excellent within sort of the London, uh, not district really, but I thought I was going to pay London prices, and it was very cheap. And I bumped into Ryan Day there, who'd paid even less for a pint of cider. So... Uh, if I do find out, I'll mention it next time. But there is a cheap pub in Brentwood that was quite nice. And they had snooker players in it. So uh, I'll recommend that another time. But otherwise, yeah, thanks for listening. Pleasure as always. What a way to sign off. I mean, w- 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 <laughs> what do you say it on Twitter if you remember? That's the thing to say. Because, you know, it's nice to give people the chance to go to it before the tournament's over. If you keep talking for a minute, I'll find it. Uh, listen, Phil. There, there are a few things that are beyond me, but talking is never going to be one of them. So for while Phil Haig 
and looks up the name name of that pub there in Brent, in Brentwood that he bumped into Ryan Day in. I'll say that yes, do please do keep your thoughts coming because uh, you know it's important to, to to get the views of those that actually go to the events because you know many people will not get to Brentwood. We must remember we have a predominant UK audience, but. Many people listening to us internationally, of course, you know, we, we get correspondents from all over the world. So, you know, those people will probably never go to Brentwood and they'd like to know a bit, a bit more about the sort of layout and, you know, what the entertainment options are like around about the venue, the food, you know, the merchandise. Is it better than it was at Cheltenham? From what we hear, there wasn't much there. So do let us know, please. You can get in contact with us on Twitter at Talking Snooker or to our own uh, Twitter feeds, of course, Phil or myself, or indeed our email address, especially if you want to say something more lengthy, talkingsnooker at yahoo.com. I'm not saying I'm really feeling now, Phil, but I'm doing that gag again. You can give us a ring, 01811 That's one for the teenagers. I've, I've, I've sorted out on Google Maps called the Brewery Tap. The Brewery oh. Tap. Um, four pounds for a pint of Stella. Lovely. And even cheaper for cider, courtesy of Ryan Day. Um, so, yeah, that was. I hope that was worth the wait. If you're in Brentwood... Uh, pop in there and I'm not even on commission but um, should be well people at the brewery will certainly think it's worth the wait unbelievable (laughs) who gets free publicity like that these days hardly anybody I would say we must shoot off it's been a pleasure to be with you Phil and uh, see you next time yeah pleasure as always good to see you thanks for listening everyone speak to you soon see you after the English Open enjoy the rest of the tournament we appreciate your company from Phil and myself cheerio Podcast Network.